three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Fresh new podcast today, Monday, November 6, 2023. Andy Crash Connell here, and Scott Shearer is back with us in the studio. And uh, as we were meeting before the broadcast, Romans 8.28 came to mind. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Heavenly Father, we thank you for waking us up today. We thank you for another breath, another heartbeat. That's a miracle. And we have work to do. The time is short. Thank you for the opportunity to still bring truth and love and compassion, but truth, your truth. And we appreciate the opportunity to have Scott. We pray for Scott, the sheriff family, and divine protection on this, uh, on their ministry, this ministry that they are working on in favor in the, uh, in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, I mean, you look all ready for, for fall. You're, a, what is, you got your uh, lumberjack shirt on here. <laughs> I did this in honor of the Wisconsin deer season crash. It is upon us. And, uh, normally when you do your podcast, don't you have a, like a coat and tie on and stuff like that? Is that what? <laughs> don't that, be letting that secret doing off. Doing that, uh, Tucker Carlson look. Do, do we look smarter when we wear? Suit and tie, is that what happens? Or well, more that's, authoritative? That's what I'm hoping for. You can fool some people with the suit and tie. Yeah. yeah. I just, I, I dress for comfort, especially on the radio. Well, Scott shares live back in our studio, and we got uh, some groundbreaking news to be sharing with you, so stay, uh, stay with us throughout the podcast. And for some of you that uh, are new to Stand Up For The Truth, uh, Scott Sherry, why don't you give us a little bit about a history and in, in, uh, in our partnership here? Well, the history, unfortunately, started because of the death of our beautiful daughter, Grace, and her last day on Earth was October 13th of 2021. And Crash, you and the crew here at Q90 have been supportive beyond what we could even imagine. So just a little history. Grace had Down syndrome. She was 19 when she when she passed away, and what happened, actually, I want to just give a little bit about Grace first, of course, because I sure. wore this shirt in honor of not just deer hunting, but Grace was my little buddy, and she deer hunted with me. And one of the stories you might remember from way back that I I share around deer season is, this was several deer seasons ago, Grace had quite a sense of humor, and we were in the deer stand one one day during gun season, and she said, Dad, I have a joke for you. I said, mm-hmm. well, what's your joke? And she said... Where do bees go to the bathroom? I said, I have no idea. Where do they go to the bathroom? And she says, the BP station. Well, then that ratchets <laughs> up because she had, she was so quick with her humor. It ratchets up to, she says, well, where do turtles go to the bathroom? And so then, you know, I'm get the day's look like a dad would. And she said, this shell station. So then now I'm into it. And I said to her, well, where do rabbits go to the bathroom? And she right back, she quips right back, I hop. So, I mean, it was, she was, she was a laugh a minute. She was so, um, she was so high functioning partially because God made her that way. And we never vaccinated her with anything. Uh, my wife Cindy did a fantastic job of homeschooling and 
then God blinded us to the fact that Grace had Down syndrome. So Grace did everything. She could read and write, public speak, drive a car. As I said, she deer hunted. She played violin at mm-hmm. Jessica's wedding. Anyway, that's a little bit about Grace. And you know, ultimately what happened in October of 21 is Grace. we admitted Grace to the hospital. They gave... The medical staff gave Grace a combination of meds that nobody would have survived, Presidex, lorazepam, and morphine in a 29-minute window, which is what you give hospice patients in their last hour of life to euthanize them. When it came time to revive Grace, none of the medical staff would even come in the room because the doctor had put an illegal do-not-resuscitate order on Grace's chart earlier in that day. And so we, Jessica was in the room at the time. We, Cindy and I, watched Grace die on a FaceTime call that Jessica initiated at 7.27 p.m. on October 13th of 2021. And ultimately, that's why I'm here today and why we met. And uh, I think about a month later, you, since then. you Go came ahead, on, about a month later, you came on Stand Up For The Truth, I yeah, believe? It was in yeah. December. Okay. December of 21 was my first time on Stand Up For The Truth. And it was just an unthinkable topic on Santa Put the Truth. Nothing like we ever had and, and here we are today. And lots 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 to talk about. So Well I want to give uh, the audience a history of what we're we're gonna give a complete update on the legal case today, but to get there I want to give a brief history. You know, God opened up this door when we jumped in to this fight we told him whatever doors you open will walk through. And we never expected to file a legal case because of the odds are against it, which we'll talk about later. But ultimately, the door opened up last September, and we filed the lawsuit on April 11th of 23, a little over six months ago. What happens once you file a lawsuit is the defendants all have to respond to the lawsuit within X number of days, and the statute in Wisconsin is 45 days. They all responded on May 15th. So the defendants are, of course, Ascension Hospital System, St. Elizabeth. That's where Grace was killed. And then we did the extraordinary, and we filed against the five doctors and two nurses who were directly involved with Grace's death. And and those are Gavin Shokar, David Beck, Daniel Leonard, Carl Baum, Romana Murata. Those are the five doctors. The two nurses are Holly McGinnis and Allison Barkholds. So we did that because we want the entire country to be on notice that you can't use protocols as an excuse to kill somebody. And so in order to do that, you can't just file against the hospital system. You've got to file against the individuals who did the action. So when we got the responses on May 15th, there was a couple of shocks and I w- I'll read out of uh, Ascension's response because it, it is, to me, it's very shocking. First of all, one of their responses, it said that they, uh, that they deny that they directly provide healthcare services. And of course, I quip right away of they provide death care services, but you know, they're denying providing directly because they're saying we don't hire doctors directly. We hire their organization and they only hire nurses directly. But then the more surprising thing in their response crash was they have affirmative defenses. And in one of their affirmative defenses, they said any and all injuries or damages sustained by the plaintiffs may be a direct and proximate result of the negligence and decisions made by the plaintiffs. So they're pointing the finger at us relative to what they did. 
Then what the next thing that happened as part of those responses is one of the defendant's attorneys filed a motion to dismiss, and that motion to dismiss was heard on July 14th. Well, in that motion to dismiss, I've shared this a number of times uh, because it, it's shocking to me to read these these briefs that the attorneys write. And in this motion to dismiss, the defendant attorney wrote, the DNR order should be dismissed because A, the issue is not ripe for adjudication, and or B, the issue is moot because Grace Shera, the subject of the order, is deceased. So we don't have a claim because Grace is dead. Well, that doesn't make any sense because we're here because Grace is dead. But they actually had... Um, I don't know what you would call it, the, the foolishness to write that in the, in their motion to dismiss. They also wrote, which I'm going to drill down here in a minute, the legislature's purpose in enacting a statutory scheme to govern claims for damages arising out of alleged medical negligence was to encourage healthcare providers to remain in Wisconsin by imposing certain limits on the causes of action that a patient and her family can pursue. And we're going to show that with the state statutes here in a minute. But you think about think about this: if physicians and hospital staff have walls around them so they can't be sued, so that means there's no consequence for choice. So that takes away one of God's principles, which is you have a choice and consequence. You know, I own a small business. I have to run a good business so that we don't get sued. I don't have state statutory protection. But the state statutes give the doctors and nurses statutory protection from being sued, which we'll see here in just a minute. Ultimately, the judge heard that motion to dismiss on July 14th, and he set the first jury trial in the entire country for a COVID-era case. And we have a three-week jury trial starting November 4th of 2024. At that hearing crash, what he did next was he said to our legal team he wanted us to file an amended complaint, which we did, and we filed that on July 28th. That amended complaint resulted in two more motions to dismiss, which were heard last Monday, the 30th of October, and that is the big news that we're going to talk about today. Hearing Scott Shera, our guest today on a fresh new podcast here on Stand Up For The Truth. Is uh, have we uh, pretty much given them the history before I go on? We gave them the history. All right. So my question is, why don't people, ha uh, why don't they file the medical wrongful deaths for lawsuits? Why don't people do that? That's a great question. And to do that, I, I the reason I'm connecting these dots for people is because I want you to see how this was set up to make it so that the medical industrial complex can do what they're doing today. And this was set up decades ago, and the state legislatures, it's not just Wisconsin, but the state legislatures are involved with this nefarious agenda. So I'm going to first share in state statute 655 is the medical malpractice statute. So in 655, it says specifically that any patient or the patient's representative having a claim or a derivative claim for in injury or death on account of malpractice is subject to this chapter. All right, so that's the medical malpractice chapter. That chapter further goes on in subchapter three. It 
says specifically that the doctors have to purchase medical malpractice insurance. Right. It's a requirement. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we can only have a medical malpractice claim against the medical profession, and they have to purchase insurance. What you think, well, what does that mean? Well, that means all these defense attorneys that are involved with Grace's case, the insurance company is paying their bills. So that's a big deal. They don't have any out-of-pocket costs to defend themselves because the insurance company's paying the claim. All right, so that's statute 655. Well, then we go on to uh, statute 893. My cursor's not moving as fast as I am, Crash. All right, so at 893, what 893 does is then it limits the amount of the claim. And the excuse, so it's right in the statute, it says the objective of the treatment of this section is to ensure affordable and accessible health care for all citizens of Wisconsin. All right, so the legislature is saying, well, we've got to have these limits so that the health care is affordable. Remember, these statutes are put in place decades ago. Well, what is the limit? Well, the limit in a medical malpractice case is 750000 And ultimately, that's why these cases aren't filed. And the reason is, well, let me just tell you an anecdotal story. Back when Grace first passed away and I started putting the records together, I met a partner in a 300 partner legal firm. So this is a huge firm. And he said to me, Scott, you've got a great case here. So he referred me to the best medical malpractice attorney in Wisconsin. I talked with that gentleman and he said, Scott, even in slam dunk cases like this appears to be, you only have a one in 10 chance of winning. I said, you got to be kidding me. What's the reason? He said, let me tell you a story about a case I had and you'll understand. He said, I represented a family where the husband died He had a sponge sewed up inside of him as part of the surgery, and we lost. I said, how is that possible? He said, I brought in 10 experts, and they brought in 100. They circle the wagons around their own. So it boils down to we only have a 1 in 10 chance of winning, and the maximum payout is 750000 So multiply that by 10% is 75000 Well, he told me the average cost of a medical malpractice claim is 250000 so there's no cost benefit to the attorney. This is not like the ambulance chasing cases right. with car with car accidents where both parties have insurance and the limits are substantially higher so the attorneys take a third. Well, a third of 75,000 is 25,000. You can't uh, they can't afford to take on these cases. That's why none of these cases are filed. The state statutes not only have prevented the cases but to do, to go up against a defense where all their costs are covered is nearly impossible. So, you know, it's quite a miracle just to be here at this point. But what I'm going to share even further is what happened on Monday on Monday really cements God's hand in our case so far. I remember hearing Scott Shera on Stand for the Truth and I remember when you first went on the year I was thinking uh, this was, I think, right around, was was it around the pandemic? I'm trying to remember when you were on. Was that 2019 or 2020? The first time I was on was in December of 21. Okay, so it was during that time, and I was going, I don't know how you're going to find an attorney because this is all about money. And if they can't win this, everybody was having a problem finding attorneys for anything related to COVID. We could see it in the news. Nobody would take it. And it was probably pretty much also a death sentence to the attorneys. 
you do this and you're out of business. Um, in your opinion, how, how, how have we been brainwashed through all of this over time? Well, I, I want to get to that. I, I do want to give a little bit more background to what happened on Monday. Okay. So what happened on Monday is we won the – so when I say we won, the judge denied the motion to dismiss. There was two motions to dismiss, and what they were trying to dismiss was our battery claim. So when you get into battery, you're talking about intent. And historically what happened in Wisconsin, and this is going to be in all, just about every state, is lack of informed consent is also a battery claim. But what happened through case law, so remember, Crash, we're in, you know, the legal system that we have is part of the Antichrist system. So it doesn't have to do with our natural rights anymore. It has to do with what the legislature enacted against our rights along with case law. So the case law put in uh, lack of informed consent as a medical malpractice claim right. by precedent. All right, so it's even worse than that because in lack of informed consent is governed by state statute 448. So how does God judge informed consent? It's pretty easy. Treat your neighbor as yourself. Right, So if you're a doctor, wouldn't you just want to get your patient informed about all the options, the pros, cons, the risk, benefit? You would expect that that's what they would want to do because that's God's law. Well, the informed consent statute does a fair job of laying out what the doctor's responsibilities are. But if you read the statute, you'll see that there's no teeth to it. There's no consequence for the doctor violating the informed consent statute. In fact, the enforcement of the informed consent statute is by the medical examining board. We filed a complaint with the Department of Safety and Professional Services, which is the umbrella for the medical examining board. They did a sham investigation and said the doctor did no wrong in spite of the med combination that I explained and the illegal DNR. So what's going on there? Well, the medical examining board is made up of 10 physicians and three lay people. So envision the, the closest analogy I could give you is, uh, is an officer going to give another officer a speeding ticket when he pulls him over? You know, so the medical examining board is going to have to turn against their own to side with the population. In this case, our complaint. So we have three state statutes involved that put this wall of protection around the doctors. Then one other case law that's involved is Grace was a legal adult. And because she was a legal adult, there's no claim for emotional distress by state statute. So... You, you get into these, these weeds because we had to, to, to develop the case and you realize, oh my gosh, this is why nobody files a case. So then what happened on Monday and then we'll get into, I for, oh, how are people programmed was your question. Right. So what happened on Monday crash is the judge heard the motion to dismiss the battery claim and our legal team did such a fantastic job of our brief that I put on Grace's website so that other attorneys can follow it because we we blazed a trail to break through this medical malpractice shield and it is extremely well done. So they wrote a couple of things that I want to read. Regarding battery, Quote, imagine a physician who fails to inform a patient about the rights of a leg amputation, but the patient does agree to have his leg amputated. 
This violates the duty to obtain informed consent under state statute. Now imagine a physician who amputates a patient's leg without obtaining consent or telling the patient or the patient's family what he is doing. And in this case, removing the patient's power of attorney and parent from the hospital first. That is a battery. So this is written right in our brief. So now the judge had read this ahead of time. He sees, okay, they're separating out the battery claim from medical malpractice. And that's how significant Monday is to not just our case, but other cases being able to be filed around the country. And to my knowledge, I don't know about yours, but I think this has never happened because they're always trying to keep it in the malpractice arena. Well, that's our understanding. I don't know. I mean, the, our legal team, I've talked with, with, with actually all four of the people on the legal team since Monday's victory, and they're thinking at least for the last 30 years, nobody has been able to bridge this gap and, and actually go against the medical malpractice lobby. And I'm going to just read one other thing out of this brief because it is so significant, Crash, uh, that I want to make sure that People understand how big this is to help other people. So I'm quoting again out of the brief. Defendants want this court to rule that a patient with Down syndrome can be intentionally restrained, intentionally deprived of advocacy, and intentionally administered deadly sedatives, all without consent. And these actions are simple medical negligence. So assuming battery under medical malpractice in such a way would make hospitals walled gardens where any intentional misconduct would be treated as simple negligence. Indeed, defendants envision a world where there is no common law claim for the failure of a healthcare provider to obtain consent that falls outside of medical malpractice. In this world, an unethical or financially motivated physician may administer drugs without consent for malign purposes including making room for new patients. The physician's liability would be limited under the medical malpractice statute, and even that liability would be subject to insurance coverage. So you can see we went on the offensive with this brief, and the attorneys did a, a just a great job, Crash, nailing it. We just don't want to believe that we're being programmed, that we're being brainwashed. That's a bad word, brainwash. Are we being brainwashed in your opinion? We are, and I have several examples to show that. Uh, two months ago, I was asked to go to the state capitol to testify in front of the Natural Resources Board uh, relative to an issue with our our business. And I thought, well, since I'm down in Madison, I'm going to see if I can arrange a meeting with some of the legislators to talk about you know, getting this informed consent statute, having some teeth, making sure the DNR statute has got teeth, and so I called the state legislator who, who I know. I said, can you get an audience with five, six legislators so we can talk through this and potentially get some action towards that end? And when I called him to see what time we should meet, he said, Scott, I can't get one person to meet with us. Not one. So what does that tell you? Mm -hmm. This is by design. They are all in on it. We cannot vote our way out of this. It isn't about Democrat, Republican. We have a Republican majority in Wisconsin, and none of the Republicans wanted to meet with me to talk about common sense legislation to help all of us. Nobody wanted to meet. So it tells me they've been bought. Then there's a lot more programming crash. The thing that 
I think is probably the biggest thing for most people is the insurance trap. We think that we've got to have medical insurance, and we don't even realize what that means. I'll give you a couple of examples. We had a catastrophic insurance plan when Grace was born. So this is 19 years ago. We've checked out of the medical insurance now for, I don't know, five, six years. I think we've been on Christian health care ministries. It's not an insurance plan. But back it was when like we, MediShare or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something. It's, I don't remember the exact name of it right now. But back when we had the catastrophic plan, we had, I think it was a $20,000 deductible when Grace was born, and we didn't have uh, child care, or not child care, uh, birth coverage. Mm-hmm. So now Cindy gets pregnant. We go in and see the doctor for the first time, and I ask, well, you know, we don't have coverage. What's what's the cost of you know the well visits and the hospital stay and all those things, and uh, we had a um, oh I can't uh, we we were <laughs> we weren't going to do a home birth but we had oh Cindy would know the term I you know sometimes you have these mind farts crash and it just happens it happens live <laughs> anyway but if you if all these programs were perfect they wouldn't think we're human right so anyway right. so and it's live. <laughs> So the the doctor at that time she said, well, because once I asked the cost of you know all the well visits, the 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 hospital stay, et cetera, the delivery, and she said I'll I'll have to put you in touch with the uh, business manager. So I sat down with the business manager and she said it's about an eighteen thousand dollar bill for everything. And I said, well, what if we pay in cash? And she said, well, if you pay in cash today, it's six thousand. Mm-hmm. So one third. That happened for us as well. I, yeah. I remember you and I talking about yep. this one time. We'll pay cash. How much for that? And this isn't just 19 years ago, and now it's 21 years ago because Grace would be 21, but this just happened recently. Uh, I went in to do some blood work because of monitoring my blood for heart disease, and I have been historically doing blood work on my own, and it's about $450 a time to do a complete blood panel. And this time I got the bill back was 3700 but I went through a doctor's office to do it. So then I called the lab. I said, this is the same lab. I said, I only got three additional tests, and yet the bill now is 3700 Last time was 450 They wrote the bill down from 3700 to 700 So you can see this whole system is designed not for us. And when you start cash paying, you start asking questions. So we're programmed, the programming piece of it is we're programmed to think we've got to have insurance, you know, that's going to protect us, and yet the insurance company is part of the problem. They're writing standards of care to hasten death. That's the goal of the standards of care, hastening death, and hastening death is murder. Since the pandemic, praise God, so many doctors and nurses are starting their own businesses that are working on a cash basis, membership basis, that are out there now. So, so many things that have come out of that. We got a couple of minutes here. Um, did, was there any more programming ideas that there, or opinions you had before we go to break? I want to share also how the physicians are programmed, and this is this is a fairly big deal because uh, an article just came out on October 26 by Medscape. So this is just a couple of weeks ago, and essentially they are saying that the physicians are the victims. The physicians are the victims in medical malpractice cases 
mean, this is like, you can't make this. It's been going on for decades, though. You can't make this up. Exactly. This has been going on for decades. And so what the physicians, they surveyed physicians to get what is their perspective of these medical malpractice cases. And as a result of being sued, one-third of the physicians who were sued have a higher distrust for the patients than before they were sued. So it goes against the patients with their trust level. So that shows you there's no remorse. They say in the article that the odds of a patient winning a lawsuit is 15%. Remember I told you the medical malpractice attorney attorney told me one in 10. Of the 15% who win, one-third of the amount that they win is less than $100,000. The article went on to say it's extremely rare for a physician to suffer a financial loss, yet they're the victims, according to the article. And here's the, the real clincher crash. 49% of the physicians recommended that all medical malpractice lawsuits should be heard in front of a panel of their peers before a judge should be able to hear the case. So that's huge. That's the perspective the physicians have into this. So that's the programming on their end. There's a lot more than that, but that's a a, a completely different podcast. Scott Shera is our guest today on a fresh new podcast here on Stand Up For The Truth. OurAmazingGrace.net is the best website to go to for all that is going on in this. And when we uh, come back, let's see what we can do, you and I. How can we get involved? And let's see what the end game is as well. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, Q90FM Radio, for video versions of this podcast. And ones that we can't play on YouTube, you'll find on Rumble, C-T-R-N Online, on Rumble, C-T-R-N Online. Back in two minutes on Set Up for the Truth. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. I'm Andy Crash Connell, and the guest today on a fresh new podcast, Scott Shera, OurAmazingGrace.net. And I wanted to continue our topic this morning on what can somebody like me, what can I do through all of this? That's a great question, Crash. And, you know, I'm going to start with a, a broad answer, and the broad answer is to change your belief because our beliefs motivate our actions. So if you still are trusting the white coats and you think that hospitals are safe zones, uh, it's if you don't change your belief, you never protect yourself. And I'm not talking about every hospital, every doctor. That's not the point. But you have a responsibility to vet and make sure that the doctor and nurse earn your trust. Don't just blindly give it to them. So you've got to change your belief. And I've got a, an article here that I want to share so that people understand how far back this goes. And what this article is about, it's titled Doctor Strikes and Mortality. And it started in 1970. This group started tracking what happens when doctors go on strike. And the first one that they tracked in 1970 showed that the death rate that it says that this was an unusual side effect that they found from their analysis from the strike that the death rate went down 35% when the doctors were on strike and so this team did a number of studies from 1976 to 2003 and they titled it doctor strikes 
and mortality, and they found that in virtually every time that the doctors went on strike, and the strikes ranged from nine days to three months, that there was always a decrease in mortality, it means more people lived, uh, or there was no change. So that helps frame what I'm talking about. And the reason I say that is because the standards of care that we have bought into, that we think they're for our protection, they're not for our protection. So when doctors aren't following those standards of care because they're on strike, the odds of living actually increases. So that's part of the the puzzle as far as what you can do is first change your belief. Then the practical things, cash, we talked about one before the break, which is go on a cash pay system. So there are doctors, as you know, just even in our local area that are now doing cash pay. And it's starting around the entire country. So get on a cash pay system, get to know the doctor that you are working with so that you develop a trust relationship and make sure that the doctor-patient relationship is what you thought it was when you were growing up. Then I want to drill down two more pieces of that puzzle crash, and one is advocacy. And I, when I look back at what happened with Grace, I would say there's a few things that would uh, have made it that Grace would be alive today. Number one is if we would have never taken her to the hospital, Grace would be alive today. So that's obvious. Number two is if I would have understood advocacy today, or excuse me, then, like I do today, Grace would be alive today. So I thought my position as an advocate was there to provide comfort for Grace, um, but to not to challenge the doctors at the level that was necessary to make sure that they're doing the best they can for her. So an advocate's responsibility is to be the person that makes sure that informed consent is, in fact, being followed. And that's the third piece. If I would have understood informed consent two years ago like I do today, Grace would also be alive today. So what does that look like? Well, one of the things that is is critical, and this is on Grace's website, ouramazinggrace.net, we have a hospital rescues tab, and you'll see that there's forms. There's a power of attorney form there. There's a medical directives form. And those forms are used to make sure that your wishes are documented in writing. They're given to the doctor. You make sure that they are on your chart. And those wishes now have consequences because you're laying out in the forums if the doctors do not follow the wishes of the patient and their advocate that they are going to have consequences because they're violating the principle and the law of informed consent. Then realize no form is ever going to protect your your life. And we just celebrated the one-year anniversary of Robert Pazer's rescue yesterday. You remember he's the mm-hmm. disabled man we rescued out of the Green Bay Hospital one year ago yesterday. And we had lunch with him and his mom. And you know, one of the things that we learned live is those forms can't protect yourself. Because once we met with the doctor and gave him the forms and he knew the gig was up, 45 minutes later, a nurse came in with the COVID flu jab and we had to stop her in her tracks because they weren't obeying the form. The advocate's job is to protect the patient and to make sure that nothing is given to the patient without the advocate's approval and ultimately the patient's approval. The hardest part of all of this since the pandemic is people like me that are not confrontational, is we've had to be praying for boldness and discernment 
and courage because I had to fire my doctor of 10 years over the uh, jab. And we had a, a long discussion on it, and the end of the story was I, f I told him, I said, it's a shame that a disc jockey in De Pere has done more research on this than you have. I have no other can can come to no other conclusion than you're under economic duress. Wow. And that's hard from a guy that I've been trusting for 10 years, and we have to have this this newfound boldness. And, I mean, reality is these people that are trusting doctors are spending hours at the grocery stores reading ingredients on the foods they're putting in their body. So they're vetting that. People vet mechanics and everything else. But uh, now we're having to, it just, it's hard to believe. But it, it, that's the reality that we're in. And I'm, I know you saved other lives when I say you, but uh, th this this whole process has saved other lives. We, we I sent you an email we got from a listener yeah. that uh, got some help from you and your and your resources. And it said it saved his life somebody in his family i don't remember i just forwarded it on to you so when you had the candlelight vigil i said we got to remember this i mean she's she's still at work yeah you know praise god what's the end game i mean where's this going to go why are you doing this well you know you've got multiple questions there what's the end game i you know only god knows for sure i know he opened up this door I don't know what he intends to do with it. You know, I have my own ideas as to where this goes. You know, we have a tiger by the tail right now. We have the first battery claim that's going to a jury trial. I mean, this is huge. So I don't think God has us in this battle to lose, but we still have to do the work. You know, this is, there's a lot of work coming up. I have a, a long meeting schedule with the legal team tomorrow where we've got to lay out all the the milestones and all the work that needs to be done because to, to to have a battery claim not only you know so now we we have the opportunity to present the claim so that's fantastic but we're presenting in front of 12 jurors that are also going to have a degree of programming right they can't sure. believe this could possibly happen so this is not a slam dunk by any means i mean god expects us to do the work you know, ultimately, you know, if people are praying, which, you know, we can go into that a little bit more, but, you know, while I'm talking about God's will, you know, I don't know what his will is, but I know that what we should be praying for is that his will is, is done. And he has done a number of things towards that end crash. And what's the end game? We started with Genesis 50-20 and we're still using Genesis 50-20, which says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What is happening now, the saving of many lives. And it's not just physical. We've talked about the physical in a number of situations. Grace's death has facilitated physically saving people's lives. But the spiritual aspect is significantly more important. You know, when I started sharing the story, it was very clear to me that God wanted me to not just share the evil. Because in the scheme of where we're at, you know, none of us know God's timeline. I happen to think that we're in the days of Noah. In that context, sharing evil fits into Satan's timeline of 
the false prophet system to come. So I don't want to share just evil. I want to have people realize how we got here because we got here by rejecting God. Think through something that has been well over a 100 years, which is the vaccine agenda. So what is the whole basis of the vaccine agenda? The basis is that we God put us on this earth without the resources to protect us. And so we've got to have vaccines to protect us. Well, there's never been a vaccine that's ever been tested, but people just run to get that protection, this false protection from the vaccine, which is part of this whole antichrist system, which we're talking about the medical industrial complex, but that whole system is designed to have us look to men to save us versus God saving us. As I was driving here this morning, I noticed United Healthcare is right down the road. Of course, I've seen it many times. Mm-hmm. You know, people see the building. You don't realize how big this organization is. United Healthcare is the largest player in the medical industrial complex in the United States. They're the 11th largest com- company in the entire world. Their company value crash went up $300 billion as a result of COVID. Remember, this whole idea of incentives for hospitals was designed, they lied to us. They said, well, these these systems have to get money from the federal government because they're not going to have any patients during the, the fake pandemic, right? So you would think that at, at a at a maximum, United Healthcare would have to be level when this thing is done. But no, they had a $300 billion increase in value of the company, courtesy of the lies that were told to us. We got 17 minutes, so I want to fill in some uh, space here about your documentary that came out because, uh, it's obviously not making news that doctors are coming out of the system and nurses are coming out of the system and and admitting that there was financial incentives because there's people that are saying that this doesn't make sense that people would do this. So when they ask why, well, there's financial incentives is one of them. They're going, that doesn't make sense that people would do this for money. And it was covered a little bit in your documentary, so we still got a little time to fill here. Let's talk a little bit about that documentary because I know it's available. So the documentary is called Breaking the Oath, Unauthorized, and the the documentary starts with Grace's story, and then it goes through the incentives. Nurse Erin comes on and talks about the incentives. She was a nurse in New York City. She was paid $10,000 a week. Uh, she said that the doctors were paid forty to 50000 a week, and... That just wasn't New York. No, that wasn't just New York. That just was happened to be her experience. Mm-hmm. So when she decided to be a whistleblower... She turned that money down to tell the truth. And then, of course, the uh, Dr. Moon came on and shared what she experienced as a pediatrician during the um, pandemic, where she was um, really forced. I mean, nobody's nobody's technically forced, but uh, they're incentivized to give the children the jab. And I found a document a couple of months ago when I put together the medical murder series that I just finished up with, and it showed that Blue Cross Blue Shield incentivized their family practitioners to the tune of $296,000 as a quarterly bonus in the last quarter of 2021. 
if they could convince 75% of their patient populations to take the jab. Now, these individuals make between 225 and 250, but they've been programmed to vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. So when they look at it, they're thinking, well, we're just getting paid to do what we already agree with. The, the, this is, is strange. You know, these incentives, we're thinking, so there is, there's a whole continuum of people crash, right? There's people who think, so for example, with somebody with Down syndrome like Grace, 90% of Down syndrome people are aborted before they're born. Sure. So they're murdered in we the world. We talked about that a lot. Yeah. Of what's too. the reason? Well, it's because Down syndrome people are non-contributing members of society. And Ezekiel Emanuel codified that language into Obamacare. So then those type of people don't deserve medical care. Well, they really don't deserve to live in that antichrist economy. So then there's a number of the physicians and nurses who really believe that foolishness. So they implement on that end, but there's also the ones that haven't taken the time to study what's going on. And as God's non coincidence would have it, Cindy and I sat uh, in a bleacher, and Grace's original pediatrician sat behind us two months ago. We went to a we went to a um, demolition derby, and so we started chatting with him. He had not known Grace died. He had seen the billboards. So you'd think as a it, physician, connect the dots. He did. Yeah, you'd think as a physician seeing the billboards. I mean, we're we're calling out the hospital. Wouldn't you just look it up? But he didn't even know Grace died. So he asked, "Well, when did Grace die?" And we said, "October of twenty one." And he said, well, wasn't there an antiviral available then, something like Remdesa something? And it's like, so I asked him, how awake are you relative to what happened with COVID? And he said he gets his information from three nurses at one of the local hospitals. So this is, so this mindset, you think about, they're not, they're just so trained to follow orders. Remember, that can never be used in as, as an excuse. They still had Nuremberg, a choice. Yeah, Nuremberg. Right. The Nuremberg trials showed that that can never be used as an excuse. But a lot of them, they, they are just not in the mindset. So I can envision this man being one that made $296,000 bonus from giving people the jab. That's going to Because he already agreed with it anyway. Because he already agreed to it anyway. Exactly. Then uh, last, back to the documentary, Vera Sherov was in the documentary. She's been on this podcast with me and she's a Holocaust survivor and she does a fantastic job in the documentary of framing how this fits in that we are in a worldwide Holocaust this time, not just, not just restricted to Germany. And at this time, there's nobody to save us because last time, all the countries of the world came against Germany. Well, here they're all in on it. Mm -hmm. So we're finally at the point where hopefully people come to grips with only God can save us. I heard a sermon yesterday, not to go too off our track, but we're in the, uh, everything's all lined up for the Ezekiel 38 war. So it, it is all coming around us and you've got this, uh, you got this battle going on and praise God. You look like you got, you got God's favor on you. Now, again, what the, um, documentary words it called what's it called and where can we see it so it's called breaking the oath unauthorized and on grace's main website ouramazinggrace.net we have a direct link to it right on the home page uh, that goes to the rumble channel it's free to anybody that wants to wants to listen to it and i would encourage people to do it 
especially if you're relatively new or you want to help somebody else wake up, the documentary is really well done from the point of view of providing an objective overview of what we are really in today. Even when I saw it in that uh, theater in De Pere, uh, you could hear the gasp of shock throughout the uh, documentary yeah. every time. Uh, even all of us that have been uh, in in this with you, your spiritual circle, if you will, even it was just seeing it actually on film, you, you know, it's it's easy just to move on, but just seeing that happen. So, again, you need to check out that uh that documentary it's especially like okay uh like we said because when we shared about the uh, one about trafficking um how it's been opening up eyes and that's you you're seeing that right i mean even that doctor behind you you're seeing eyes opened yeah it's it's interesting to you know i i talk with a fair number of people who are uh in the same role that i am doing podcast fighting and we all have somewhat of the same uh, a complaint. It's not really a complaint, but it is that what does it take to wake people up? You know, and intuitive or not intuitively, but I mean, we know by reading scripture, only God can open up the heart, but you just think that you just want to shake people because they, it, it seems like they are completely blind to what is going on. But God tells us that right in the days of Noah. And that's what we're, we're experiencing. It seems like the, the, exact same thing you know this case has the our our legal case which you know we we won the hearing on monday has the potential to wake a lot of people up crash and the reason is is there's going to be a national spotlight when this case goes to trial so all the alphabet networks the mainstream media everybody should be there because it's the first trial of the country and we're going to have an, a real opportunity. So right now, all the attorneys who would read the brief have an opportunity to file similar language to get around medical malpractice. But way more important is if we win, what that does is it it breaks all the barriers, all the shields to medical malpractice coverage. So the doctors don't have the insurance company that can pay their legal bills anymore. Uh, they have consequence for choice, and we get back to God's economy. And because there are punitive damages associated with battery claims, so we have a punitive damage opportunity right now, that means attorneys would be willing to take on cases like this on percentages similar to car accident cases. So that's what we're hoping for as things proceed. You know, we're we're getting closer and closer to being over the target. So you had asked about prayers earlier you know, praying for God's protection on our family. I, it, it's probably more critical than than ever based on how far we've gotten with this lawsuit. How how high, I don't know if you can even uh, quantify this, how much has the uh, spiritual warfare increased since Grace's death? I, I don't know how I don't know how to judge that. Yeah, that's yeah, I I would say a different way to look at it is God's hand of protection has been there. We have yeah. had no death threats. Um, and he, he has done a great job to not, you know, there's times where I'm driving by myself and you think, you know, what if they want to take me out? Well, they can take me out anytime mm-hmm. they want, but I don't have that fear and praise God for that. When you were talking about the uh, news coverage, being that I, uh, I've spent 40 years in, in secular media, 
I want, I can't help but wonder. I don't know. I'll just I, maybe this is just a comment. I can't help but wonder if the uh, big pharmaceutical companies are going to put pressure on the uh, networks not to cover it. Um, I don't know. The reason I would expect that is we already have seen that with the Brooke Jackson case. So I've mentioned the Brooke Jackson Jackson case uh, here in this pod, not not today, but in other times I've been on Stand Up for the Truth. Brooke Jackson filed the first False Claims Act case in January of 2021. And that was huge. So this was against Pfizer. She was an employee for Pfizer, and she realized they didn't do any testing. And so she filed the False Claims Act. Unbelievably, Pfizer's defense for that False Claims Act claim was they have a contract with the Department of Defense that was never to produce a vaccine. So because they were never hired to produce a vaccine, they were hired to produce a prototype. No testing was required. Her, in October of 2022, the federal government came in behind Pfizer and support, instead of supporting the whistleblower, supported Pfizer. And so that whole case, it's still now under appeal and hopefully there will get coverage. But that was, that's really an example where that case is bigger than Grace's and the press was shut down. Right. There you go. Two, three minutes here. Uh, what are you topics are you covering on your podcast? The name of your podcast is what? The name of my podcast is Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. And we've got one year anniversary last week of the podcast. So that was a pretty big milestone. I'm doing that once a week. I just finished up doing a seven part series called Medical Murder is the Number One Cause of Death by Design. And that took all roughly 2,500 hours of research and organized it into a research project that went through uh, who, what, where, why, when, and how. So that was the first six parts. And then now what? So now that you understand this, what are you going to do about it? So those seven parts are now recorded. They're all on Grace's website and on the deprogramming channel on Rumble. And then we also just uh, started posting everything on Brady on. Then uh, what happened last week, We had uh, I had Jamie Walden on as my guest last week. That was uh, maybe the best podcast I've had so far. And then Karen Kingston is coming on this Wednesday. I see that the, uh, the lawsuit, the Ascension Health, continues to deny culpability. That's a hard word. Easy for you to say, Chris. Yeah, uh, for death grace of Grace Shera. Everything, we're going to put some of these links on the podcast today. And you're going to be on Stand Up for the Truth again as a guest host. And who, who's, who, who are you bringing on? Monday, the 27th of November. So I'm going to be telling my big buck stories then. That's the first day after the deer gun season is done. So we'll reserve the whole hour for my big buck story. But then we'll try to squeeze in Matt Truella also. Pastor Matt Truella is the guest day. Do you have any, uh, any hints on what you're going to, you and Matt are going to be discussing? If I told you all that crash, you probably wouldn't have me on. So I've got to keep some of it as a secret. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, nothing new to the uh, Stand Up for the Truth audience here. So, uh, again, I see that you're on. Uh, just let you people know that Scott Shara, S-C-H-A-R-A, is on Twitter. You're also on Telegram. There's a surprise. Well, it, when you say I'm on it, I can't, I'm not on any social media because I can't do that stuff. I'm 60 years old, so that's all beyond me. So we have that stuff 
those links and 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 the things get posted there, but that's all beyond my pay grade. Uh, the thing that I, I, I know we don't, don't have much time left, left crash, but I want to encourage people, if there's something that you want to do to help us, so that seems to be a common question, we do have a separate website, gracechara.com, which is S-C-H-A-R-A, gracechara.com. That website, Jessica, our daughter, is maintaining it. She's doing a fantastic job with it, and we're creating a database of people to, that want to follow the case and keep abreast of what's going on. And we know there's going to be calls to action as this case proceeds. We have a lot of work to do. And it, it, if there's one thing you could do to help us is go to that website. Please put in your name and email address. And Jessica is updating everybody who's following us on a regular basis. Scott here. thanks for coming in today. Grace, S-C-H-A-R-A dot com, dot com. And here it is uh, Monday, so Tuesday, we have a new podcast for you with Mary Danielson. It's a replay on Wednesday. Standforthetruth.com. Check out the upcoming tab, standforthetruth.com slash upcoming.